All right, everyone, welcome back. Vlogcast number fuck. What was it? All right, everyone, welcome back. Vlogcast number 25. Software Y in the goddamn building. And, of course, it is myself, Christian Soto, my main man, Matt Berkey. Clearly, you can see he is from Pittsburgh. You you a proud young man today? We back, man. Tell me about it. Winning record, five and four. Won, uh, nice. Won four of the last five, I think. That's a good. That's a good thing. What do you What do you think has changed? Nothing. They've They've gotten a little bit luckier. Nice. They've all. Here, here's the thing. They got blown out by the Patriots week one. Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt, out for the season. Mm-hmm. All of the years done and over with. What they forgot was we have the best goddamn defense in all of the NFL. That seems to be a trend with that team often. Yeah. And, you know, they lost really close games. They lost to the Niners on a last possession, Seattle on a last possession, Baltimore on a final possession. These are three huge yeah. playoff-bound teams. You know? Right, right. Easily, uh, we easily could be 7-1 and one right now. 7-1. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. 8-1. Uh, you know, you're the fucking Niners and shit now. <laughs> like, all right. Well, we're back. It's good to be back. And uh, there's a lot to talk about today. So quickly, uh, we're going to give people a rundown of what we're going to do. We're going to talk about player of the year. Obviously, that's going to be uh, a talking point. And then we also have a little, let's say, holiday gift that we want to provide the people. And we're going to talk about that. Of course, we're going to talk about my fitness bet. If anybody has followed me on Instagram, you know what's up. You know I'm taking long walks to the gym. (laughs) Uh, and if you Sounds don't follow romantic. me, yeah, if you don't follow me on Instagram, uh, it's Christian Soto zero eight. If you don't follow Berkey eleven, I don't know why you are even tuned into this channel. So let's uh, begin with Player of the Year. There was uh, mishap potentially. That's a polite way of putting it. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to give you know uh, these people are over there, you know maybe they want to sponsor the show. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to ruffle the feathers. That's is that, is that is that an idiom also? That is an idiom, a colloquialism almost. <laughs> What's the difference of that shit? <laughs> uh, colloquialisms are just like local, more, oh, more like cultural dialect. And these are like well known. Yeah, like international. That's a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> Probably all English speaking nations. But gonna, I could be wrong. I'm gonna ask. Uh, I'm gonna ask our British friend. I'm very <laughs> certain that I'm probably loosely interpreting right now, and I'm just gonna get hammered in the comments. <laughs> all right, so. WSOP miscalculates, misplaces the points for Daniel Negreanu. They give him a cash in a 1K online bracelet event that did, he did not cash. But mm-hmm. Amanda Leatherman, formerly Leatherman, I believe, um, did cash. So, Which is, is meaningless. Yes, but some people have brought that point up in terms of like you knew she cashed or you didn't know that you didn't cash because you're obviously probably playing alongside her or whatever. 
So, you know, suspicions. Drama. Sure. So, Shandeep accuses, loosely accuses, or formally accuses. He said he cheated. (laughs) You know, try to be nice, maybe. Shandeep wants to sponsor the show. He owns a couple firehouses, you know. Um, He accuses Danny Negreanu of cheating. And the beneficiary of all of this is, of course, the player that did end up winning. I uh, believe his last name was Campbell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a big dramatic thing. What do you believe is should be the stance of... Well, let's begin with WSOP. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty unfortunate. Uh, you know, they're pretty restricted... Obviously, I know a lot more of what goes on there than most people do, but um, they take a lot of heat because they are an industry leader and their name is on the forefront of everybody's tongues. Anytime that something poker related, more specifically tournament related, is being spoken about. So whether it's the online or live side, they, uh, they're they just pretty restricted by their platform. You know, yeah. they're, they're partnered with 888 on the online side and in the live realm, it's a huge operation. So unfortunately... All of this stuff isn't automated the way it should be. Right. And I anticipate that we'll probably see some changes, albeit slow. Um, but yeah, I mean, like errors occur all the time in all realms. The 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 problem with this whole thing is that they don't get the chance to correct because it's such a community wide topic. Yeah. Basically, people are gonna be crowning uh Negranu. The second that Deeb gets knocked out worse than fifth. So they don't get a chance to like audit. Right. Nobody yeah. really fact checked. Right. right. We just took everybody's word for it that Deeb needed fifth to win. And that was the sweat. And that's that's reasonable. But, you know, there is some. Shouldn't they have audited knowing that, you know, this is coming to a close? I mean, they should because they don't get to after the fact. Right. And they're kind of forced to go public and say, like, congratulations to Dan Negrano on player of the year. And then retract that 24 hours later. Correct. And to be fair, um, I'm not sure if they would have caught it or not had the our, our Russian friend not found his way into the into the point system to to double check everything. Maybe he hacked it. Sure, like the election. Yeah, he hacked that shit. He doesn't like Daniel. Maybe he had big bets. <laughs> Let's talk about a little gift before we uh, before we move on to a new topic. So, November 18th, end of year holiday gift. So, let's play the ad. Coming to Solve for Why is what really kind of forced me to rethink everything and just completely change the way I played the game, especially in the cash game mentality. You get this lens that you wouldn't get anywhere else. So I've been a member of various training sites over the last few years. Started researching Software Why and been diving into the rabbit hole ever since. We are pretty much marrying the GTO approximation of the spot and our blockers and all these things to the profiles. And there's some hands that are just too low equity to, to really be able to bet with any significant frequency. I think it should make sense to everybody watching this why betting 7-5 a diamond is not going to make a ton of money. It gives me some confidence to like not put so much pressure on myself when I do go play and say, okay, sometimes I am going to mess up and that's okay, you know? Theoretically speaking, this is almost exclusively going to be a call spot. You're, you're just not really incentivized in position to be raising much of a range. I think a lot of our opponents are going to fail to defend as much and some are going to drastically fail. You get to actually hear step by 
step-by-step -step people's thought process as they're making decisions and taking actions inside of the game of poker. I don't really think overlimping is too viable of an option. I don't really want to play multi-way pots at this stage of the tournament. You're going to take away something from one of those players around the table that will stick with you as you develop your own game. You're not going to see a lot of videos on the training site of you know, how to c-bet on this specific board texture. This information is really critical. Even if you're not a leader or an innovator, uh, it's, it's incredibly important to understand what you choose to follow. All right, we have two tables running. Day five of the gameplay. Solve for Y has torn everything that I know about strategy away and then solidified a foundation and built it back up from nothing. I think without Solve for Y, I would be broke. All right, so they can get one free month. You're back to giving things away using S4Y gift. Yeah. Tell the people a little bit about this. The letter S number four, letter Y gift. Um, yeah, so effectively we are just doing an end of year holiday sale. We have a uh, site relaunch coming up in the near future. It'll probably be um, sometime, I I'm hoping for January 1. Um, and we just want to give everybody a chance to uh, to experience the training site. So utilizing the coupon code S4YGIFT, um, you'll get one free month uh, of the site. And then if you like what you see, we're also running a special on a year-long subscription. It is an end-of-year Black Friday promotion. Regular price is $1199. It is now $9.99. Use sign-up code TRAININGSEASON. If you like training day, you'll like training season. If you like training for losing body fat, you'll like training season. This is training season. And this is the realest fucking podcast. It's real, man. Offer expires December 31st. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I was on Poker Masters. They gave me a microphone just like this one. They didn't let me speak this loud, though. Mm. Uh, and I commentated the short deck, five, not 25, 10K final table. The winner was Jonathan Deppa, uh, and I was very impressed by his gameplay. And of course, I was impressed because I don't even play the game. They gave me the microphone. I, I was like, okay, uh, I played this a couple times before. A couple times? Probably like a handful of times. A handful of times? Not professionally, for fun with my friends. You've played in a casino? No. You So you've never been dealt a hand I played on deck. the kitchen table. Right, so you've never been dealt a hand of short deck. You played on the kitchen table versus other people who have never been dealt a hand of short deck. Yes. Right. So so effectively. But I also watched the streams. Hey, to be fair, yeah. <laughs> my first hand of short deck ever, 300, 600. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think I was a little more responsible than you. But you also won a lot more than me, so there's that. Thanks, Benbo. I've I've uh, I've played against Deppa in yeah. in those short deck games. He ruined them. Yeah. Well, he came. He doesn't with... know he ruined them, but he ruined them. Yeah, because he came with the correct strategy. Yeah, it was <laughs> annoying. Like I I was in there just low key, winning a little bit here and there. Everybody was limping along, real splashy, seeing too many flops, multi ways, and then Deppa comes in. He's like, "You open? I'm all in." Mm -hmm. It's like, but I have Queen Jack suited. He's like, "Yeah, I'm all in." So I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you how. So I was like, okay, I'm going to play a little bit. So we kind of like set up a little bit of like, you know, kitchen home games, short deck. 
And then I got a little bit of like just the pulse of how the game plays so I could get into the shoes of the players. Mm. And then I started, I put on like two different streams with like, with a little bit of like my notepad out and just like I put on two different streams from the, the Triton series. And I was like, okay, like, like I wrote out, like, this is how the game is. Like, you know, all these antis, like, what should you be doing? And then I kind of compared it to like No Limit Hold'em. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, in No Limit Hold'em, like, what would be our incentives here? And then I just changed the the rankings of the hands and then inserted them. And it's like, okay, well, this is relatively simple. Like there are certain hands that want to move all in and push all these other hands out. And then there's another range that's polarized. Yeah. Okay. That's the game. Yeah. And just follow your incentives. So it was kind of crazy just because I felt as if, if you understand incentives, if you understand the structure of the game, and you understand polarity pretty much, then you can just transfer all these concepts that we teach here at Software Y onto all other big bet games. Yeah, and I, I think that that, I think that stands the test of time. I think uh, people who are very strategic at No Limit Hold'em are often just good at big bet games to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it's any shock that some of the best short deck players in the world were also uh, highly regarded No Limit Hold'em players. Um, and I think like the only challenge with this game is that it's kind of comparable to PLO in the sense that polarization isn't isn't very absolute. Mm-hmm. Um, right, the board changes quickly. Right, you don't really get too many big advantage textures. So money often goes in really early in hands. Uh, the incentives shift a little bit. River play is, is uh, kind of often forgone. But it's also very early in the evolution of the game. Nolan Holden was this way too whenever it first started. We played very shallow. Uh, yeah. My first game was only 40 big blinds deep. Mm-hmm. And that was a byproduct of people not wanting to make complex river decisions. Eventually, they're going to stop letting people go south in these games. Eventually, you're going to have to play 300, 500, 1,000 antis deep. And you know the complexities are really going to ring true. You know, this morning, and I shared this with you, Depa sent me a message on Instagram. And he said, like, hey, like, you did such, you did a really great job. It was it was a pleasure, and this was really nice because I usually just watch the streams on mute, right? Which is like one of the best compliments I could ever get, right? Yeah. So uh, especially from someone of his caliber in this game, so that was really nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited uh, to potentially work further with them, and uh, that's it, really. I just wanted to kind of give people an update on that. So I am going to head back to Jersey see my beautiful girlfriend who is dying to see me hates that i see you more than her I that is actually that, that's that's true actually <laughs> that she says that um but i am making sure that my fitness bet um stays intact as it pertains to me staying on the course so what would you suggest what are, you know people that are out there traveling for work for whatever and they have these goals of, you know, trying to stay, you know, on track or whatever. Like, it, you know, we travel more than the average person. Yeah. And it seems like what would what would be your, your plan? So I want to talk about two things, both the plan of me going back home and what I should probably do to stay mm-hmm. on, on, on the focus because it's easier here. You know? Yeah. yeah right. um, and then secondly, like you know where I'm at as it pertains to like my, like this journey. How do you see this journey playing out? Sure. 
Um, so I think first and foremost, the, the idea of like traveling and trying to stay regimented, the big thing that you want to avoid is being spontaneous. Mm. And I don't mean that as a life thing. I just mean it when it comes to your routine. That's right. Cause my girlfriend likes the spontaneous. Sure. You, you can woo all you want. Just <laughs> do it outside of the window of X, Y, and Z that you've laid out for your regiment. Got it. Um, and I think that that's like super critical. I think it's really easy to like travel to another place. And you're used to working out between 8 and 10 a.m. every single day. But suddenly because you're somewhere else, you either sleep during that time or you just find something else to occupy your time with. And right, absolutely. now it's noon and you're like, ah, I don't feel like going right now. I'll go later today and you just keep pushing off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so keeping that discipline up in terms of you have to work out today, even if the hours somehow changed, like this needs to get done. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like for me, I just like try to give myself one or two windows that I can fulfill. And that way I don't feel like stressed or pressure if I exhaust one of them. Mm -hmm. If if I give myself eight to 10 a.m., but I'm super tired and I sleep till 9.30, then I'll just say like, okay, well, I also have one to three open. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to like fulfill that with my obligations. No, Same so. thing holds true with work. Um, but hey, I might not be the person to ask for all this because as regimented as I am in my day to day when it comes to getting shit done, I am absolutely absent whenever it comes to uh, not being overwhelmed by tasks. Yeah. And, yeah. and staying social and paying attention where it's probably a lot more important. I never thought like I would be one of those guys who lets the job overtake things. I never. I never was in poker. Right. Like no matter how hard I grinded, no matter how much I aspired to be the best in the world, I always seemed to find more time for friends, family, uh, significant others or whatever than I ever did to go play. And I remember I used to like stress over it when I was in my 20s because when you're in your mid-20s, late 20s, all you are thinking about is the traditional pressure of like, I got to get a career and get married mm -hmm. and have kids. And mm -hmm. you feel like that's like breathing down your neck. And at the time, it's like I'm like 26, 27. I'm making six figures every year playing this game. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, how could I ever sustain like answering to a family whenever it's a random Wednesday and so-and-so just showed up and I have to go play? Yeah. So like I struggled with that for a long time. But despite my worst fears, I never, they, they were never an issue, right? Because like there's just so much freedom in playing. Mm -hmm. starting business is different that's true it's way different there's deadlines there's things that need to come out at a certain time this podcast you listen to launches every goddamn monday at 4 p.m mm -hmm. and it better be out there or else conrad is fired that's right you yeah. heard conrad <laughs> <laughs> don't delete this <laughs> um but yeah, uh, in terms of discipline, yeah, there's definitely going to need a balance. Like, you know, obviously my girlfriend's really excited for me to go home and she's going to want to spend time together. So right. I need to get, you know, I have a lot of work to do for Solve for Y. So I'm already allotting like, okay, she's working X amount of time to X amount of time, you know, so that's my window to like get all my work done yeah. and like go to the gym or maybe we could go to the gym together. She wants to do that. So that's nice. Um, but in terms of like dedicating software wide time, like that's my window right there. If I miss that window, like I'm done for the day. Yeah, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I think like, uh, like I think that you'll kill it because you have the framework and, mm -hmm. and like your mindset is there. It's when you begin to get too overwhelmed Yeah, and like something has to give. So like, you know, for a fact, you have to sacrifice something because of work, life, play, social, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You're just looking at your plate and you're like, okay, it's genuinely too full. Yeah. And I have to consciously sacrifice something, but I don't want to choose. Yeah. And then everything. Yeah. For me personally, whenever that happens, I just immediately shut off 
And when I shut off, like, unfortunately, the people around me just, like, are the first ones to, to feed. Yeah. Basically, they get the shit into the stick. For sure. In all capacities. And it's never intentional, but it's one of those things where it's like, well, something had to go and everything else had a deadline. I don't mean to make you expendable, but unfortunately, like, I don't have the mental capacity to fix this. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. Like, you know, we spoke about this last night, you know, obviously, like, you know, we live in a close proximity. Not Well upstairs and downstairs you know? <laughs> um and you know we're good friends and like we have a business so it's like there's so many moving parts in all our relationships you know like we're both roommates and bad friends and and business partners and and peers and poker you know there's so many things like so yeah man shit happens shit is real this podcast is the realest fucking podcast man <laughs> <laughs> um and so as it pertains to moving forward for the year right so mm-hmm. i'm trying to p- begin planning out for the year uh so i at least initially i'm thinking like okay i lost like 40 pounds with the ketogenic diet yeah. right and and i was really happy with that but you know at least the outlook for me is like i definitely feel like i need to build some muscle right yeah and so i'm thinking of like switching the the macros in an inverse way where it's like high protein moderate fat low carbohydrates now instead of like the high fat moderate protein low yeah. carbohydrates what are your thoughts on that uh so i don't know if you're still deep in ketosis i know you just did that long fast and mm-hmm. you were really deep in ketosis i would take advantage of that if you are and i would do a fuck ton of cardio for like i, I would probably give like keto maybe two and a half weeks or so especially since you're traveling yeah it's super easy to fast yeah. whenever you're flying across country um and also now it makes the inconvenience of being home and having to try to figure out like when you can work out and what you're going to do. Like that anxiety of trying to build a, pr- a program every single day. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's over overwhelming. So when I'm the busiest is whenever uh, I would prefer to be much more in that foundational phase. And I think it benefits you long term because if you can get your wind up and and like really get your VO2 max to be of high capacity. That means that now whenever you do cycle into more of a maintenance diet where you're trying to pack on muscle, um, you're gonna be able to endure a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think is like pretty critical. I agree with you. I think I'm gonna do a ketone test and then see where I'm at uh, as soon as I either get home or as soon as, or as soon as uh, right before I'm gonna leave. That way I know. I mean, you can test at my house. I have a, yeah, I know. a blood thing. I know I used it. You weren't there. Sure. I still, I still a little needle. I get scared. Seven of it. bucks. I get scared of it, man. I'm, you know how many times I was like, mm. <laughs> I don't want to press it. <laughs> for, for anybody who doesn't know, it's literally like uh, one of those diabetic pens where you're testing your glycogen. They also have, uh, or your glucose levels. They also have them for your ketone levels. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, it's like taking a thumbtack and pricking the tip of your finger. Not you, Listen, if I grab the thumbtack right now and tell you to prick it, you're not going to just be like hyped about it. I'm not going to be hyped about it, but like just... <laughs> Just Jesus Christ. I did it, man. I goddamn did it. <laughs> Holy shit, man. I didn't like it. I do want to take this time to thank all the people that did, you know, send me a message on Instagram. I actually posted our 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 wager and like the goals and things like that. And people like really came out and I was, I was really kind of like astonished of how many messages were like, oh, you can do it. Like, you know, get your mind locked in, like all these things. And it's like, I almost like feel like they're following along now as it yeah. pertains to like, okay, like let's see if Chin can actually get this done. Some people were like, Berkey could kiss that 25,000 goodbye. <laughs> like, 
Uh, so th- those were fun to see. And then another person was just like, steroids, only way you win. <laughs> like, I wonder if he, he talks like that too. So, like, <laughs> steroids. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really overwhelming uh, to, to get that much support. So we're going to have Joey Ingram. Yep. And I haven't really listed out a topic because that will be a discussion between you two. Uh, but I am curious as it pertains to what you would ideally envision a conversation of you two looking like. My whole thing is that like, uh, I came to know Ingram through social media and his own platform and everything else. And you ever called him Poppy or what? No, I won't call anyone Poppy. That's right. I think that's weird. Yeah. There's, um, only, one, there's only one Poppy in this room. I'll tell you that. David Ortiz, that picture that's back true. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I just think like I'm not alone in the sense that I doubt very few people really know a ton about his backstory. Right. I've heard bits and pieces. And I know about the, the big prop bet that he had about playing like a bunch of hours. Yeah. Um, and then there was another prop bet where he had to like write a book. Right. Uh, so those are the two things I know. And I think all that stuff's interesting, but I'm not even sure how long he's been in the game. Yeah. My best estimate would probably be like 12 or 13 years. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great interview. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to... Do we look at the cameras in this scenario? No. Okay. Never, never oh, this is perfect. I love this. Okay. <laughs> just you and me, buddy. Well, I always stare at the camera when I'm yeah. doing mine, like when I'm talking to someone. So this, is, this is a lot different. Okay, you have to look at our person. This is way better. Yeah. I like this. This will be intimate. Okay. This isn't really an interview per se. This is... Uh, a conversation. Yeah, it's a conversation. It's like the normal thing we might do normally if we're talking or... Right. Even on my show, it's... we're we're talking to each other. It's not like I'm interviewing you. It's like, we kind of throw a topic out there and we speak about it for a little while. Well, that's kind of the irony. That's, that's why I was like so pumped to do this is because truthfully, I don't know you outside of the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Most people don't. <laughs> right? it's like, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations on and off air, but yeah. the vast majority of it has been me getting to know you through your podcast in some capacity, mm-hmm. either as a guest or, uh, you know, just somebody viewing from the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. So first question, we have a scandal on our hands already. Okay, do we? What's when I when I was digging through the Ingram files, oh boy, okay. trying to got? learn a little something. What do we got? I found a lot of things that said you're 37 years old. What? And then I found an upswing article that said you're 33. What? I'm just telling you. Who what, said I'm 37? Uh, I was like, what scandal? Or I was, what happened <laughs> now? Like, Postle, like I see Postle there. I'm like, yeah. is this Postle related? Like, what happened with Postle well, now? Well, the Postle thing, I was going to put a big X over and like, try to figure out a way not to bring it up. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, no. Yeah, so are you 33 or 37? Or neither? No, 34. Okay, so you, all right. So that's where It's about right. I don't even know they came thing. to 37, though. That's kind of, It that's said little... like July 24th, 82, I think. Oh, July 24th, 85. June 24th, 85. Listen, oh, I don't know. Month, right? I, 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 I like, I vaguely, like if I look for, whenever I get photos of myself for Photoshop for thumbnails, I'll yeah. Google my name and I'll look for stuff. So, I, but I never really have looked at any articles before. And sometimes I'll click on an article and then it'll, it'll, I saw something weird like that before where it said like my, I was like, wait, how, where do they make, <laughs> well, how can be they fair, be this the incorrect about found, this stuff like that? I just don't understand. The first one I found was like some off the wall, like Asian site that, was just trying to boom poker over there for sure. Oh, shout to Asia. Okay. Put him in Asia and they're okay. What I'm guessing is a bunch of other articles use that one as a source. Well, that usually, that makes sense, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. something like this happened, UFC video I did initially, right? Like I, my source was an article and then it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not good. Yeah. Make a correction video about it, right? So it's like, yeah, that, yeah. I, it's, it seems easy to let that happen where you're just like, well, you're, my source is this person. And then right. 
it gets like this this chain reaction sort of, I think this is what happens a lot of times in content or media is like they don't really check with the actual source they just check with this random source that they believe to be true just because someone posted about it or read about it so yeah so let's talk about that a little bit I mean I'm gonna go a little bit out of order but I'm versatile here. I feel like, I feel like you're going to do well. You're, I think you'll, I think you'd pick it up quite nicely. Well, thanks. I got to tell you, I don't feel comfortable as the interviewer, but, uh, well, it's we're, like we're the conversation. The It'll be okay. <laughs> so with the puzzle thing, like you kind of mentioned also with the UFC thing, mm-hmm. uh, there's a huge due diligence that we have to do as content creators, or at least a presumed one, right? Mm-hmm. I guess like you don't have to, you could just go the clickbait route and just put whatever the hell inflammatory shit you want. Right. But, uh, speaking for myself, I was most interested in getting to the bottom of something to protect the community. You seemed like you were aligned with that message and we're just trying to get to the, you, you started very neutral. I'll give you a lot of credit. I was trying. You started. I, well, very I, neutral. I was neutral, right? Sure. So, well, I messaged the guy, right? I messaged Mike Postle and I say, Mike, what's up with these hands? You know, this, this looks suspicious. Yeah. The guy's nice to me. You know, he said he's a fan and, and says, I didn't do it. He gives me these explanations, right? I'm, well, I, mean, I I believe the guy, right? Like, why wouldn't I believe this dude? Right, right, okay. Yeah. I, I have no reason not to believe the guy. A couple people vouch for him. I say, okay, let me let me take a more neutral standpoint and look into this sort of thing like that. And then, so I think you mentioned, you know, we have this, 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 do, 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 do our due diligence, right? And yeah. I've come to that conclusion over time because what I've found is that when I don't, then you get these comments that they can they can refute what you say right. kind of easily in some ways. Like, well, did you ask that person? I go, well, I didn't. So in order to make a better argument or, or present a better case or present better evidence for whatever it is that you're trying to come up with, I found that it's just much just better to do the due diligence. And what happens oftentimes then when you ask the people, they're going to tell you something. And um, I found that a lot of times they're lying about these kind of things, right? Sure. So now you say, well, I did speak to them. This is what they said. And then you find evidence that says that. And you say, well, I mean... Now, it, I, I, for sure, I don't. I think that they did this kind of thing like that, right? Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. what it seems like to me is what's happening so far with the idea of, of asking both sides and kind of getting that feedback. And I'm thinking about this Negrano thing, actually, right? I don't, I don't really, for this situation, I, I, I guess I, I haven't taken, you know, I'm just very, I don't, I, I'm kind of not even. It's, it's whatever. You're allowed I, to I'm, be personal. Right. I'm like, oh, I don't even want to fucking even get into that kind of thing, too. But I'm going to have him on a show and kind of ask him about it and kind of go from there, see what he says. And. But it's it's you learn from your mistakes in the past, right? Yeah. You learn from the way you handle things and and what happens, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you thought was unfair, what you thought was fair. And I'm trying to be a lot more fair about the process because now you see the influence. Something like you say come out or something like I come out, and if we come out and we're very incorrect about something, well then that's going to impact these people. And I want to be very right about these kind of things if I'm going to make some sort of definite stance on something like that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really critical. You kind of like already nailed the follow up. Uh, I think it's really important that if we're going to start trying to find some sort of bridge between poker and more mainstream communities, and we're going to be doing it through methodologies where we're talking about truths, mm-hmm. uh, whatever they may be, be it, you know, talking about lifestyle, being talking about our paths up until this point. I think one of the big things that's plagued poker throughout the decades is that ego has gotten in the way of a lot or so much where people want to put themselves up on a pedestal. They want to be known as a crusher. They want to celebrate all of these huge wins. They they want to uh, kind of like be basked in the glory of choosing this non-traditional path. Mm-hmm. But we know the, the dark, cold hard truth there, right? It's like most people are failing, if not almost everybody across the board. It's really hard start to finish to have a career where you don't suffer through some low times. You know, we we kind of like do a really shitty job of being empathetic to those who go broke, to those who are struggling in any capacity. <laughs> do we? Oh yeah, people love, right. love putting, I mean, I find that 
hilarious, right? In some ways, because people are so fucking critical, but I'm noticing they're critical in all these different genres too. Cause I'm trying to research like, what do people do well in all these different genres around the internet? Yeah. And I'm seeing this criticalness is it's all there. Right. And I, I mean, I have noticed that too, right? Like someone goes broke and they're like, Oh, he's bro. He's this, he's that. And there's a lot of other factors that determine if someone's good at poker or not. So if we're looking at someone's poker ability itself, then that's one thing. But I guess when you combine the whole entire like bankroll management or you combine those things, then people try to like say, okay, well, let's look at the bankroll management. Let's look at the actual ability. Let's group those together. And now that defines this person sort of thing like that. But to me, that that doesn't because there's other things that get in the way. There's downswings, as you said. There's just mismanagement. And there's a lot of these things that you need to be very, very good at in order to be this like well-rounded sort of, I guess, life manager in some ways when you're a poker player. And, uh, you know, it's tough, man. It really is hard. It's not as as easy as, I don't know if someone thinks it's easy or not. I don't, I don't think it's very easy to be a professional poker player in a lot of different ways. And right. there certainly are harder jobs out there. But in terms of kicking someone when they're down in that situation or putting them down because of, for a number of different reasons, yeah, I think that is overblown in a lot of ways. But it also makes sense because we do glamorize money so much in poker. Yeah. And that is how we determine who's who's what anything right like we want to know who's winning who's losing who's got money who doesn't have money that's sort of something that seemed to be born from the beginning of online poker and live poker sort of thing like that so it makes sense that people still react that way because that used to be the reaction before but i feel like as more people talk about it and as we have this conversation that narrative can then change and then people can say yeah i mean that's a good point right but no one talks about this kind of stuff right. so how, how can someone know that Oh, that makes sense, right? Like it is that regular when no one who has any influence is speaking about the issue. Yeah, so I, I think this that's is where it starts, right? Yeah, like, yeah, this is the kind of thing. And I think that's a huge issue because at the end of the day, it is just a business, right? It's like people selling pieces, people being staked, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to look down on them. Could you imagine somebody opening like a local shop down the street and you like walking in and going, "You only have half of yourself, you coward!" Right. Like that's, that's an insane thing. And we've, we've, we've like born this thing where it's like either you die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. And those who stick around long enough are just probable to go broke because of all the variance and volatility. And now suddenly like we just tear them off their pedestals. Well, I've noticed you had this reaction a lot. You have this response when people talk to you about selling action to play in high stakes games. And then your response is like, well, it's a business, right? Businesses get investors. Some people put up their own money. Some people get investors, but it's like, the most successful businesses, those people most of the time got investors for that. And that's sure. how they grew to that scale. Yeah. And the reason why they've had success at this high level is because they got investors. So I think when you frame it in that way, it makes a lot of sense. And I actually don't really know where this got started from because it seems like what's happened and how this has got started is that the businessmen have put down the professionals right. in these higher stakes games. And that's their way to, it's like professionals insult the weaker players and yeah. then the weaker players insult the professionals. Well, I you only have 10% of yourself. Right. I got 100% of myself. I'll play like a fucking idiot if I want to sort of right, thing right. like that. Yeah. So now it's like that message has been passed down, right? And now whenever people, now it's for some reason like amateur, like the fans are like, oh, well, I can't watch this. They only got 20% of themselves. And I, I kind of make sense. Like I kind of get that. But at the same time, you know, these guys do have skin in the game, right? These things do matter and sure. still doing well, even if you don't have a big piece, it still matters. It still matters for your, your ability to get staked in the future. It matters for your self-esteem. It matters for your ability to support your family or support whoever in the current time. So it, it does make sense to view it that way. And I, I don't know if this is like a big 
secret or not, but I mean, people are selling action for the five ten game too in the two five, right? right? Like I, I don't know, like your your friend Jimmy, right? Sometimes they sell action for these games. Like yeah. it, it isn't just exclusive to the highest stakes or for ten k's. Like they're selling action everywhere, man. All yeah. the players are selling action, right? So it's it's like. I mean, are we glorifying people that don't sell action? Is well, that, I, I think what it is is this, like, I, I think, like, from the from the bottom up kind of routine, or, or not routine, but, like, perspective, it's this feeling of being slighted in some capacity, mm. right? Because almost everybody watching in some capacity has uh, a level of poker dream or desire, whether that means that they see themselves playing the largest stake in the world or it just means that they think they're going to make it from $0.50 cent to $5.10, mm -hmm. doesn't really matter. All that they can recognize is that people have unfair opportunity. And it's very easy to hate someone mm. who has uh, another person validate them through uh, you know, effectively investing. Like mm. When you have a Bill Perkins come in and say, like, I believe in you enough to give you a million dollars, whoever that person is. That's that's a big statement, you know. It's true. That's that's profound. It's like this guy's made it. He he recognizes like ability and the big thing that's not quantifiable is skill. So those of us in the know who have been around for a long time, we recognize that the most skillful players are the ones that find the funding. But to the generally, I agree. Generally speaking, I mean, I I, I we can we can talk about that topic though. Yeah. 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 Uh, but to the outsiders looking in, it's just people find funding, mm -hmm. and why not me? If you gave me a million dollars, I'd win all of these high rollers. Mm -hmm. And that's ludicrous. Well, I, I've actually not realized this was a skill until the past couple of years. And I think this is a huge skill is your ability to to navigate this world, to mm -hmm. get in these games, to, to, to meet different people, to sell action, to sell yourself, to get staked. And I think people knew this a long time ago. I just never knew this was a thing. Sure. And the people that have been playing tournaments for a very long time, they've known this is, yeah, you got to sell yourself, right? You got to find that long-term relationship. You got to find these people that can piece you out for various events. You got to find the swaps. You got to buy the right action. You got to swap the right action. You got to make the right pieces. Like, I feel like these are very important things that let's, I mean, you don't need it, right? But if your poker ability is just that good and that strong, but as the ecosystem evolves, then that becomes more important. Yeah. And maybe before you could have just, okay, I'm going to start from the bottom and move here, but games evolve and situations evolve. And that's where it seems to be evolving. And a lot of people seem very, I don't know, they don't want to embrace that. They want to say, well, it just should be about who the best player is and whoever's right. there first and stuff like that. Well, we equate that, money to skills so often. Like yeah. we interchange oh, yeah. those and conflate the, the definitions. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. You could be one of the most skillful and not see the return. The most skillful players I, I have known are, are not playing poker because they, they mismanage their money, right? Like sure. they're, you want to talk about technical ability, right? Well, these guys have technical ability, but they don't know that you shouldn't play six hours versus four hours and you shouldn't play six versus four tables and you shouldn't go on upswing and then spend half of that money on something dumb. And then you go back, play the same stakes and you lose it all and you have no money to play. Right. Right. So like they don't understand that concept and they don't understand how to get back in action if they get to that point. So that's what holds these players back who are really good technical theoretical players. Yeah. So it's like, and I try to think of this, right? Like the best players, the best players, I guess, to me would maybe encompass all these ideas. They would have the theoretical knowledge. They would have the the soft skills as well. They would have the ability to stay in action. Like, so then you look at who's been around the longest and who's playing some of these high stakes. And 
do those have to be the players, right? I mean, our, I mean, our, that's our, that's the thing that bugs me the most is that we don't spend enough time putting an emphasis on the total resume, mm -hmm. right? It's just who's hot now, who, who's great lately. It's like there are so many flash in the pans and not because they're not talented, not because they couldn't potentially be the greatest ever. It's just they haven't proven it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there will ever be any debate what Fedor's level of skill is, but he's much like Durr was in 2009. people were saying like this kid should be in the hall of fame we don't know we have no idea right mm -hmm. and the fact of the matter is he's moved on to other things so how impactful is Fedor or Adur back then going to be 10-15 years from now down the line in the industry and I think that like when you look at somebody like Rast like he might be one of the the most glorified players from a resume standpoint that nobody on a couch sitting at home knows right and it's it's crazy, and I mean, I don't know like to what uh, to what point it impacts him, but it has to have some level of effect. It's like this guy called his shot in the 50k to win it for a second time, yeah. where he bet like 300% on himself, just nailed it, won the 2015 Super High Roller Bowl. Like he's just an afterthought in, in the in the poker sphere. Well, I agree, and I, I from talking with him, I I do have a feeling that this is probably something he thinks about, right? Because he's been playing some of the highest stakes online since I mean I can remember like '06, right? So '06, the guy's playing some of the highest stakes. I remember he's two I, years older than me, so he's likely been around since 2002, 2003. I remember I had a conversation with him before, and he said like a lot of people don't know this, but I'm playing, I'm battling in Bobby's room all the time. Like I'm battling against the best players. I'm trying to become the best player in the entire world, but no one really knows that about me. Mm -hmm. I say, that's a good point where people don't really understand that about you. And I think what's happened is that um, I'm kind of like fixated by the hand, the crotch, the crotch. They have like the hand. Uh -huh. You got the hand down. It's like very possible. I'm like, how did they not see possible? Right. I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm like the phone down there. I'm like, this is what, what's happened. What's I like literally am holding on to the chair to like, <laughs> I'm sitting on this like, uh, like saddle thing that allows me to rock back and forth. I'm like, I'm getting pot. I'm like, man, this I'll come is, above this the table, how, man. This is how possible wasn't detected. <laughs> how did they not see it? Right. It's like, well, I mean, people weren't looking at it. Yeah. Guys crutcher that's it you like spent that. a month in an investigation now you're just fixated on dicks forever oh my it's ridiculous but <laughs> let's go back to that that kind of topic there before uh so we're talking about brian we were talking about kind of uh just like the, the path forward like I, I don't think the the clarity oh, is yeah, there yeah. Anymore. well it seems like what's happening is that the only way for you to get known in poker right now is for you to let people know who you are right and there is no media enterprise like ufc has ufc creating their own original content around around the athletes and then the incentive is there for the athletes to participate because one, it's contracted and two, now you make more money through this. And it seems like these players don't, maybe this isn't true now to, to a lot of players out there, like, well, I'm not going to make more money or get more opportunity or get better at poker or get better opportunities. They see it this way. If I, it doesn't matter. This, this, none of this matters. Right. It's either that or the people that are doing the media are just not seeking these opportunities out there. And from talking with a lot of the media people and kind of seeing how structures work and how, how, incentives work makes sense because there is there's no creative power a lot of times for these individual creators of the different media companies and they don't make more for doing more in their minds right, right maybe right, they right. do long term but sure. they don't make more in a short term and the support systems aren't there this the like well i don't know how to make graph i don't know how to do this shit so can someone help me it seems like that support isn't there so people just kind of get down and down and they've been doing the same thing for years and now they they're whatever like they don't they don't care as much or they don't have the support or someone doesn't care as much or the the, the monetary incentive isn't there amongst the companies so it, that seems like how we get to this point in terms of with the media and that's why now the only people that really get themselves out there are people who actively choose to 
And, uh, you know, kind of, I guess kind of sucks in a way because now even you have these guys like the Stephen Chidwicks and the, the top, and Kale Burns and you got these guys, Sam Salverell, not really known amongst poker fans. And we can debate if they should be or not should be. But the only way these guys are really going to get known is if they keep playing these games for the next, like, maybe six years. Right. And then eventually it's like, oh, now I've seen him for 10 years. I know who he is, yeah, right? Yeah. Or somebody creates something about them on a consistent basis to get that repetitive marketing out there. But that doesn't seem to be doing being done. And instead, people like myself, people like yourself, people like the vloggers, people like the streamers, those are now becoming these influencers in some way in the community only by, I guess effort right like they yeah put in the yeah effort it's and, literally by default like we right. we are completely devoid of media outlets and that's not saying there aren't media outlets of course card player poker news poker central these places all exist mm -hmm. but like for instance uh i woke up today and wanted to see who made the final table of poker masters right couldn't find it couldn't find it anywhere yeah i mean if i'm if i can't google poker masters 2019 final table and find it that's a problem mm -hmm. that's a huge issue and then, you know, on top of that, we would start to layer things behind paywalls. And, uh, you know, when, when we start going down the other media outlets, it's like most of the stuff that they're putting out there is paid or backed by whatever it is that they're supporting. There just isn't a lot of incentive any longer to get out there, be on the beat. And, you know, it's old hat too. You know, how many times can we watch an interview of a guy on break who's the chip leader talking about a few hands of when is when? Hello everyone, you're watching PokerNews.com and welcome back to our coverage of the Super High Roller Bowl. I am with Matt Berkey. Now let's just start off with, it looks like things are going pretty well for you. You're amassing a pretty solid stack and I would say you were kind of a sleeper in this field. Like a lot of people that know you knew that you were gonna crush, but maybe a lot of people out there didn't know. So tell me a little bit about what's going on. That's, that's probably a bit of an understatement. I'm <laughs> sure I was pretty favorable dog in the field that's true that's true right it is kind of this this I, I mean i guess we can debate right maybe are some interesting are some not but i think what happens is there's content created so much that is either marketed poorly or just i guess i guess really it's the marketing a lot of ways because when yeah. you look at other industries and what's successful and what's not it's because they build up a narrative and a story around the content that they're trying to put out there and then they sell that story and they're pr they promote the story yep so i mean i think ufc is just this great example because Perfect. that's something i've really studied a lot and dana white who's in charge of ufc considers himself a promoter that's what his his job is i'm going to promote my fights mm -hmm. how do you promote a fight well you build up the story around the fight with the people so you make the story people care about the story you care about the people now you care about what's going to happen in this thing are they going to win are they going to lose like i know a little bit more about these guys right it seems like what happened in poker is that that was the initial uh, approach with world series of poker and world poker tour back in the day so they build up these stories these narratives the truck drive even like the the professionals got stories and now what seems to be the case is that I, for some reason, right? I don't, I don't know what, what exactly happened. They've disregarded these stories. So now a guy like, like, like Sam Saverall and, and Stephen Chidwick, we've, we've been playing poker a long time. Like, I don't really even know anything about a lot of these guys. Right. Yeah. And now are we saying there isn't a story there? Because I would disagree. I think there is a story. If I really dug in could spend a couple hours, if you really dig in and spend a couple hours, you're going to come up with some type of story that connects us to these people to, make us give a fuck about them as, sure. as a, as a poker fan or as a poker, whatever. Right. 
So it seems like that that's really gone away. And that's this is a big reason why I've been thinking about this whole vlogger thing. I, I have never been able to figure this out. And I've got a few things on why I think vloggers are so popular and why they're going to continue. To, they're like, that's the 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 path that has the most, I guess, like growth in terms of way. And right, that's because right, you right. get to know who these people are, right? It doesn't it doesn't matter. These are the best players, right? At least we know something about the guys, right? We know and they're Andrew, doing a great job right. co coordinating amongst each other, too. Big thing. Yeah, huge crossover markets. They mm -hmm. they make it so that they're uh, a character base rather than just a solo individual. Right. And I think now all of a sudden, like people are tuned in. They do give a shit. Uh, you know, there's room for like competitions and stuff like that. Utilizing the UFC model, uh, I think, is what Poker Central had in mind. And I really do think that like they're the the one entity that could change the game. Yeah. The problem is I feel like they implemented the business strategy backwards. UFC started with everything for free, mm -hmm. right? And then they scored a spike deal and all of a sudden Ultimate Fighter became a show. And then off of all of that was born the app where now you can get UFC 24-7. Right. We did it the other way here where we have poker 24-7. It's not 24-7. And now all of the things that need to get be pumped out over a general audience are being pushed behind the paywall. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worry because it's a good opportunity for people like Poker News and other outlets to really seize that and <laughs> put out the best free content. There's just no incentive. Yeah, I mean, also, if you when you learn more about how these structures work and how the, the, the systems work inside, and you, it makes sense, right? Like, right. When, anytime you see a company or kind of someone you think maybe could do a better job. I mean, I think I do a better job. We can all do a lot of better jobs. Yeah. But when you really take an outside look and you, you're able to see things that, that they're not able to see inside too, just because they've been entrenched so long. So like, I think I could come into solve for why and I could be like, probably give three ideas that you'd be like, oh, that's a good fucking idea. Yeah. You could come into what I'm doing. You could be like, give me three ideas. And I'd be like, that's a good fuck. Like, right. But it's when we're inside and, and you know, that, that it's real. I think it'd be tough that ways too. And, and as you mentioned, the incentive what is the incentive? Right, right? there's like, no alignment. There's no reason right. why Poker News would ever want to bolster Poker Central. There, there's like nobody ever wants to coordinate. That's that's like no. the biggest issue I find in the community as a whole. Mm -hmm. Whether you're talking about media training, uh, tournament tours, um, even even like cash games and and casinos and stuff like that, there is so much that can be done with even the mo most like small amount of coordination. Mm -hmm. Where instead we just like because right now the market's not being policed, and we're just trusting that the general populace is going to know what media outlet to gravitate to, what right. training sites to gravitate towards, what casino to gravitate towards to play tournaments, cash, whatever. And then you see things like the Venetian thing get snuck in there and it's in the fine print. And, you know, yeah. we did our best to call it out and there was a decline, I'm sure, but it wasn't by any means an ultimate failure, mm -hmm. you know, and, and and this just happens. It's broken across the board. It's a great point. It's so a like, really good point. I wonder, uh, or I guess like I'd like to hear your take on what, what do you think the future landscape of the community has in separate entities because i do think that it's it's a hard divide right now mm -hmm. there are grinders and then there's content grinders because of all the the lack of that exposure otherwise so how do you see that like overlap and do you think the community is just going to like overtake pretty much all of big media uh you mean communities in terms of the sub communities with the, the vloggers have there solve yeah. wise got there yeah i, I read it like uh, all the forums well it's definitely happening now yeah. right and i think that the only way that changes is if someone starts a a media site in a way and i've had offers to do this and i've i've put a lot of i kind of like planned it out recently actually i was like how would this work right well what yeah. is what other media i just study other other areas right? Right, right i just study okay what are these other areas doing and Okay, that works well. So how is what could the poker equivalent sort of be? And when you look at what other areas do, 
there really isn't anything like that in poker as well, too. And you 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 mentioned a good idea, like a, like a, a very good point, right? It's like where do you go for this information? Because if we have some trouble finding some of these things, then imagine you know Tony over there in, in what Sacramento or something like that. Tony wants to go play, and he's like, "Where do I? I'm going to Vegas. Where do I play?" Right? Right. Uh, you ask someone on Twitter. You ask me on Twitter. You ask Andrew Nemi on Twitter. Like, it's like where do you? Where do you go for this information? And it does seem like there's a massive opening. And then the argument is like, well, then how do you monetize this opening? And I would, and then that's where the trouble comes in is because sure. you you monetize it through a deal with the site. Right. You say, okay, like poker stars, okay, I, you, you want to support or any advertisers, but in poker, yeah, right. That's, that's that would the be the, that path. would be the direct path. Or right. you do up like let's say Solve for Why, right? Solve for Why. Do you want to pay two thousand dollars to advertise? Be one of the main people on my poker media site. Mm-hmm. Well, Solve for Why is like eh, you don't want to. Maybe you don't want to promote upswing. Maybe you don't, and then you say upswing. You want to come in, like yeah, you don't want to. So it's like this, right. as you mentioned, the collaboration is, and what's probably going to have to happen is somebody who is able to collaborate with these people would have to start something, right? right. Like I would have to start something, yeah. or I don't, I don't. I, there's other people out there who can pull people together, but it's like everyone's kind of so segregated, man. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, we all got into this industry for independence. Yeah, that, that's the yeah. big thing. Oh yeah, that's that's but, yeah. But if we wanted to see this machine churn along and start really cranking, mm-hmm. what you would see is some umbrella controlling training sites, not controlling, but like coordinating. Right. Some umbrella coordinating media. Some umbrella coordinating poker tours. But yeah, that's you know, you're talking like Rob Young level of wealth that would need to step in and say, Hey, I'm willing to take a loss because I see big picture growth here in right. some capacity. And to be quite honest, the metrics just don't kind of lean that way. Right. It, they, I, I mean, you know, it's a gamble, right? And I look at it as a gamble. I think this is how poker central views it is like, they don't mind doing it this way now, but if I think it all rests on, does American poker become legalized again? Sure. So it's sort of like a huge gamble in that, well, let's say it never happens, then it doesn't matter, right? We're going to probably fail. But the upside is so massive if we're entrenched or established as this this premier destination. Once that might happen, which I think that will happen at some point in time, especially now that I'm sort of seeing, I'm and we'll kind of I'll, we'll get to that after if you if you'd like to, because I, sure. I kind of uh, the Andrew Yang thing is going to uh, when I do that, and yep. I've been I've been putting a lot of thought into this whole legalization for poker thing, and I have a lot of theories on what what the current, I guess, why it isn't legalized and that type of thing like that. So, but I do see that these communities are going to rise more and more and simply because they're putting an effort. So if you have the media sites that aren't putting in the amount of effort that all of us are putting in, then how are they ever going to become this place that people can go to talk when all these other subgenres are now building up people, building up people, building up people. And it seems like, you know, a good opportunity. I was thinking about this other day is like, you cover what's happening in vlogger news. Like you're like the right. ESPN of fucking poker vloggers. Yeah. And, you... and I think like PokerTube tried to do that uh, at a low level. It's yeah. just yeah. It, the, the the difficulty is getting traction. But I actually did have an idea that coordinated with that. We just haven't had the resources to really implement it yet. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a challenge where uh, we got six vloggers and then ourselves. And um, let's say it lasts for 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. And at the end, like uh, the person or, or the vlogger who wins gets like a, main event seat or something of like that nature and it was just gonna be a That's simple cool. competition I love that yeah everybody gets a day to vlog so like you know if you're monday and boski's tuesday and nimi's wednesday and ultimately it would it would land on a sunday wrap-up that we would do mm-hmm. where we would do just like news desk style and it would be like this is what's happened throughout the course of the week and it was just a good way to like push content uh but the coordination man it's it's so hard 
and you need so many resources because to incentivize six other people to coordinate with you to create content, you need to give them more than a platform. They already have that. Right. So you need to incentivize them with ROI in some capacity. And it's like, they have to care about that ROI. Right. I think the the better relationships you have with them, the better, right? Like you, you, you as you, as you almost, right? Right. Like what, what, what you've done. I mean, I don't know. That's how I've always like approached these things. And I try to have a relationship some capacity with everybody in poker and I never really asked for anything. And, but if people ask me for something, I try to help them out a large majority of the time. And I think that's right. That's how you have these relationships in some ways. And so you just try to be who you are. And if people like that, they do. If they don't like that, they don't. And yeah. Right. And I, I think, I think, all right. So I think that's a really good, uh, segue to something else that I'd love to dig into. Sure. Uh, personally, I was always the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Grew up hyper competitive, played sports my whole life. Like to me, poker was a battlefield. Uh, up until probably, I don't know, after I went broke the last time, hopefully in 2012, uh, we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, getting through that, like I relied so much on the small subset of friends that I collected throughout, Mm -hmm. uh, to get by that. I kind of did start to realize, you know, how much more important, like the overall community was, I was paying a lot closer attention to things that were going on around me. And there was a desire to both give back, but also like reach levels of coordination. I think it's kind of like being in the cash mindset too, where like you you don't get to be buddy buddy with people like you do in tournaments because they're taking taking ROI directly away from you mm-hmm. when you're sitting across the table. Um, but what I'm trying to get to is effectively like I never built that huge network. It was never something that really interests me. Um, now, obviously, the position I'm in, I wish I had. Uh, but you seem to always have that when you hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. So I was digging through like the old Poker Life podcast. Uh, seemed, first of all, let's let's just call you out a little bit here. Okay, not in a negative way, but you were a vlogger before vlogging was a thing. I've been I've been I'm trying to tell people that I I did I I I had one of like the first vlogs I think. I mean, other people had vlogs in Poker Road and stuff like that, but yeah. I. I I, didn't I loved Poker Road. Oh yeah, man. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, man. When I I just record YouTube videos. I was like, hey, uh, I'm in this like <laughs> restaurant in Vancouver. I'm gonna play yeah. 160 hours this week. What's up, guys? Joe your one, aka Chicago Joey here. I'm uh, I'm just getting ready to set the world record and uh, for most hands played today, 50,000 hands plus. I'm very excited about it. I'm ready to prove that I am the ultimate grinder in the whole entire world of the online poker. I'm gonna show you guys a little bit about my setup and how I plan on doing it. I have my three monitors right here, guys. I'm gonna just basically 24 table stack on this one monitor right here. I got all my keyboards. I got my other monitor right here. I'm gonna watch TV shows. Right now, we got a little Real Housewives of Orange County on there. I'm loving this show totally right now. How am I gonna do it? How am I gonna play 24 hours straight? People are asking, how do you do it? 50,000 hands, it's so many hands. It's easy, I don't take any drugs. I don't need that Adderall bullshit. I'm a fucking natural, natural drug free. Got my Red Bull right here, boom. Take about maybe 10, 15 of these the whole entire time. Help me stay awake. Gummy worms, gummy bears, more gummy worms. This is basically gonna help me stay nourished throughout my whole entire time. Got my eye drops, my eyes get watery. Take my eye drops, I need to stay awake. Pretty simple. Comforter on the chair right here. Keep me warm when I'm playing, you know, just take a nap, whatever, however I wanna do it. Ultimately, how am I gonna go to the bathroom, people ask. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna get up and pee? Well, that's easy. Going to the bathroom while you're playing, that shit's for noobs. Pissing in the bottles right down here, that's just for the pros. There's no bathroom needed. I just simply open up the bottle, take it right here, and just start going pissing in the bottle. But at some point in time, I'm gonna need some relaxation. And that's when I have to switch chairs to my Lazy Boy recliner right here. And then it's gonna be 
time for a little massage for my massage girl. Hey boys, I'm here to help Joe Ingram one, the best grinder in the world, achieve the world record. Basically what I'm going to be doing is just getting a massage right here. Have my mouse in front of me, click, 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 script, script, script. And after 24 hours, the world record for most hands in a day is going to be mine. And I'm going to be $30,000 richer from playing some NL25. I hope you guys follow along on the webcam. This is Joe Ingram one, a.k.a. Chicago Joey. Yeah, yeah. Like everything that. seemed to be very goal oriented, which uh, I think makes sense a little bit. I know about you. Seems like you're very driven by uh, like um, not necessarily intrinsic things, but also not necessarily money. Just mm -hmm. more so like I'm going to do this thing and uh, watch as I try. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, so not, not money. For I mean, I wish I've been thinking about this a lot. Not money. No, I just I need to I need to go the other way. I'm too far this way with money. So yeah. I well, I way. think. Uh, well, there's so many things to dig into, but I think anybody who's had any relative success where you've had more money than you can fathom and then lost it, uh, I think it's pretty easy to realize that just like no amount is ever enough. Like right. security is your only main issue, but that gets met at a pretty low bar. Right. And then from that point forward, it's just a video game trying to run up a high score. So it's like that can't be the center focus of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to stick a pin in that for a second just because I think that goes off into a, a way deeper tangent very deep uh <laughs> yeah. so so prior to creating the youtube content the first thing i saw was coming off that the back end of your prop bet mm -hmm. uh the the fifty thousand hands 2009 yeah 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 fifty thousand hands 24 hours yeah that was my second big bet i did yeah and you had to be profitable yeah i made 43 buy-ins wow yeah okay how much was the bet for Thirty-three thousand. One to one? No, three to one. Okay. Three point five to one. I put up something Still. to win thirty three k. Yeah, so yeah, that was yeah. the second bet. I the first year before I did six hundred thousand hands in a month, which is the most hands ever in full ring in a month. Yeah, and that had that wasn't profitable, but I still was. And then I year later, the same month, November, I'm like, I feel like doing another bet. And these people want to bet against. I I'm, I was like a volume, like master basically. I would always post these ten to thirty thousand hand graphs all the time. That was like what I was known for in two plus two at that time. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, can I bet this again? And everyone's like, nah, you can't do it. You can't do it. I'm like, okay, I mean, whatever, fine. So, right. but I already knew I could do it. I've done it before. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it 20 hours, made 40 some I lines. think the profitable part is what's the most impressive there. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I mean, it was it, 2009, it, fair, but like, with, I, no, it, I, it was. It's kind of laughable looking back because it was at uh, my stats were at six. It was at six max, and I barely played six max. I was yeah. just that's the only place I could get 50,000 hands in a day, and I was playing like. 12 9 or something like that <laughs> but i i also knew how to game select really well 24 yeah. tabling which yeah. like some people might say what are you talking about but i i think i was one of the best 24 table game selectors that may have ever existed because i had a system down where i had my lobby here and i have this here and i would just it would it'd be like i'd be like normal right and i wasn't as i could obviously be focusing more on the game but the game was the tables, right? So right, I would start right. tables. I'd always have an empty table open. I'd always be scanning for seats. And this is what has allowed me to be able to game select at, at a level I can without a seat script or anything like that. It's just because I've I developed these strategies over time in terms of like getting in good games, getting in good seats, like mastering that whole process. And it started from doing that. And it was just like, I don't know why I did it initially, but I always end up on these tables where it's like all regulars and we're all playing tight. I'm like, fuck out of here. Let me start a new table. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, that seemed like the best way to do it. And then in the process, I learned shorthanded, learned heads up and learned how to do that. Was, and then, this, was this all PLO or no limit? No limit. This is all Hold'em. Okay. This was all Hold'em. I switched to PLO 2010 to get Supernova Elite. And then I switched the next year to get Supernova Elite again. And mm -hmm. then I just stick with, stuck with PLO after that. So Black Friday, obviously, had to be a huge impact 
for you specifically as best i can gather you weren't like putting in a lot of live volume right no i never i really never played live before that i played some live as like a fish and i would lose all my money oftentimes when i was younger but yeah it was awful i mean it was the best thing in retrospect like i probably never would have left san diego and i would have stayed there forever but it, it did force me to take what i was doing more seriously because i was in this constant thing where i'd shot take like play 10 20 20 50 lose go back down 50 cent dollar kind of go back up it was just like I, I was so bad with bankroll management and to me like it wasn't even about that i just wanted to get to 50 100 100 200 200 400 and play high stakes yeah. so it didn't yeah. really i didn't care if i had 40k to play 200 400 it didn't matter to me at all right i was like i'll still do it and if i lose i'll go back 50 cent dollar make it back and i because i always knew i did it so many times to drop down 10 and 10 25 cent 20 50 cent 50 cent dollar i didn't mind at all so I would lose 10K in a day sometimes, go play 25 cent, make back, God, make back you're, 1500. You're I did this all the time too. Man, I was the exact so, opposite being a live guy. Well, I mean, how could you do it live? Can you imagine? Well, no, no, no. I, I, I didn't even know you could do that. I'd be. No, I mean like marrying live to online. So I treated online like live. I would one table everything. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and wow. Like, uh, I would really go through the pain because like, obviously I would huh. still do, I've never been rolled for anything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what's the biggest game in the room? I think I'm the most skillful player. Let me sit. And ironically, the first time I went broke was through PLO. So I played a lot of heads up PLO. Great game. From, <laughs> I played a lot of heads up PLO from like 05, 06 ish to like 2009, 2010. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, <laughs> and right? You, you yeah, but when I, for, yeah. when I say a lot, I mean like relative uh, to any other game I was playing online, I was mostly still playing live. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're still probably talking about like only 10 or 20,000 hands a year. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would develop these like rivalries. Man, me and Wiggins, we used to just battle. Andrew Wiggins? Yeah, yeah. that was great. But uh, the way I ended up going broke was 2006, I had back-to-back uh, -back scores on party poker won the nightly two nights in a row mm -hmm. and uh would just like shot take so i'd just be playing like two four five ten plo all the time and i was just like riding the dragon man some days i would just like kill it and i'd be like this is it we're gonna have a million dollars by the end of the week yeah. no big deal and then other days it would be like just had a 20k downswing i don't know how i'm gonna deal with this but i i fluctuated basically between like you know 40 and 60k over and over so uh Christmas was about to roll up, 2000, the end of 2006. Mm. And uh, I decided that night was going to be, well, it was decided for me, Joey. It was decided for me. Okay. I sat one table, 510 PLO, uh -huh. ran a little bad. I had a couple tables of 510 PLO uh -huh. going, ran a little bad. Mm. And I had a couple tables of 2550 going, ran a little bad. Next thing I know, I have six tables of full tilt, six tables of poker stars, all 2550 PLO. The whole 60K is on the line just it was honestly like something out of a video game yeah just like watching one table after another go down because i didn't have another buy-in i was left with like twelve thousand dollars sent 5k immediately to my student loans because i felt like a piece of shit and then uh just licked my wounds and figured it out we've all been there <laughs> <laughs> we've all been i mean listen that's like uh we have not it's all like been one there. tenth we have of not all been there at home technically but I, it's I, like we, one tenth what happened to you <laughs> You know, we've all we've all, I mean, we've all done that, right? Not in one night. That's that's that. I've never done the whole. One it would night. never happen over multiple nights. That's the thing. I was out of my mind. Right. You know, so, I was young. I, I was 24, 25, Just came into this money. I didn't know what the hell I was doing.
This has definitely happened to me, actually. I'm thinking more about it. But you played yeah. Heads Up, which is so much more volatile. And the thing is, oh, you know, we were playing six and nine max by the end of it all. You oh, think no. I, get six oh, heads up? I don't know. I'm like kind of savage. <laughs> all right, you're 12 tabling heads. I'm like, you're like, I mean, no, I can see you 12 tabling. Why I not? I can see you doing that. firing anything that would open. Like, I'm pretty sure Galfon got a nice chunk of it. I remember Leggy was like one of the regs back then. He got a big piece. Galfon always gets a piece of it. I'm telling you, right? I'm pretty sure he got a piece of me, too. Back, yeah. back when I had an upswing down, you know, it's like, I think we all have that. Uh, that bit, and with this attitude, right? You you're gonna if you get a lot of money at some point, you're gonna have this massive downswing because it's like that. I feel like this leak is always there in some ways, and it can go away at leak, some though? point. Like I don't know, maybe that's how you get there in the first place. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm just wondering if like maybe it's a necessary callus to build, where it's like I'll never do that again. Like I went broke other ways later, but like mm -hmm. I'll never do that again. Right. It's a good question, man, because it's, it's something like this you know, happens to happen to me where I, I knew what my leak was. It was playing too many tables and playing against good players in that process, right? Because the better players you play against with the more tables, the more very deep decisions that you have to make against other players who are thinking very deeply about things, which mm. means that you can only, you have to exert more energy against these spots. And I never really realized this over time. I was like, oh, I'm 24 table mid stakes. Like I can 12 table high stakes, sure. right? Yeah. And what I, realized in retrospect was that my strategy to get to higher stakes was heavy game selection and just less tables. And I would play against better players, but I would play less tables. So I'd be able to focus more on the decisions I'm making and then therefore get better more rapidly in real time. And then once I deviated from that strategy, once I stopped being focused is when everything falls apart and you sort of look and you say, well, was I a bad player or did I have a bad strategy? And oftentimes it was that you were a winning player and if you kept doing your strategy normally you probably would have been a, one of the top players right or one of the best winners but you were a fucking idiot and you deviated from what you knew was a proven winning strategy to a strategy that just had a lot more variance and and you were on the wrong side of the variance there so it's right. like i think you, if you can grasp that concept of what did i do wrong okay i'm not gonna do that again and yeah, now you, yeah, you, yeah. you you know that i think it's that sort of thing that you sort of have to yeah i, have I think to master. it's like i think that's the at the end of the day that's like one of the best parts of pursuing this career is it's a real character building path <laughs> and be. there's like no getting around it um but like all right so so for your career path as was black friday comes mm -hmm. when when was like your i guess ultimate peak like when were you the richest when were you when did you feel the most successful pre or post black friday oh, like, definitely after black friday i mean before black friday i, I never really had more than a 30 40 50k roll i mean i kind of did but i'd always shot take all the time yeah, yeah like yeah, i yeah, sure Every single day, I would I could be playing up to ten twenty or up to, uh, down to twenty five seventy cent. It was just like and it would be no rhyme or reason. Sometimes too, I would just decide to play a fifteen thousand hand session. Sometimes a fifty yeah. cent dollar, because I I did like the VPP system, the reward system on Poker Stars, and I I always had like maybe I'll go for Supernova Elite this year, maybe not, which was hundred a million VPPs, which mean you had to play a few million hands. So higher stakes you played, the more points you got. So I would always kind of flirt with that idea, but it was definitely two thousand and poker career wise two thousand and um. 12? Yeah, 2012 when I was in Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver. It's all in Vancouver. All the good stuff happened in Van Canada, basically. Sure. And then once I had that large amount of success, is what here's what happened, right? Is that never in my life did I ever really like get out of line. Okay. I I, I just kind of not like in that out of line, like traditional aspect you might consider out of line. When I was 21, I moved to the city of Chicago and I was working as a rest at a restaurant called Lucky Strike and I was working for a promotional modeling company where you, they would basically pay you to go to events. So as I was doing that, I was like, oh, it's fun, right? You get paid to go to events and have a good time or promote something. 
So I started doing something with uh, like a, a nightclub kind of thing there, like a, like a bar nightclub thing. So yeah. I started working for this this thing and they would just pay me to go to these places and I would get people to go there. So I would drink a little bit there. That's the first time I ever drank when I was 21. So I would drink and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is different, right? Because you're, you're just, it's like, it was, it's. It's a lot of fun, right? You know, a lot of, a yeah, lot of, a lot of fun, a lot out of line, right? I'm right, sleeping right. on friends' couches and stuff like that. I would sleep anywhere before yeah. I was really even staying in the city. I was, I was crashing on couches. I just felt, figured out how to navigate this world to stay there, even though I live in the suburbs. Then I moved there and I was like, yeah, I can't drink like I, I anymore. It's just, this is just, you know, ridiculous, right? So I, I just was getting too crazy. So I stopped drinking essentially. And I very rarely ever drank when, before I'm 22 up to 27. So I never didn't try to smoke, never tried to drug, like anything like that. It was just always, I just, my mom taught me that was bad. Yeah. It's yeah. like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do drugs. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I, I trust my mother, right? I'm not going to do these things. And uh, then 27 comes and what happened was I had, had so much success at poker and I was like, this is all I've ever wanted, right? My whole entire goal was to get to high stakes and get a few hundred thousand dollars. Like that was, I got there and I was like, well, what else, what else we got, right? Like what else is out there in the world? And then. I was always good at saying no to every distraction around me, except women. And uh, <laughs> not to that extreme though, but sure, sure. the friends, like I was always like in Vancouver, I'm like, they always, you know, you want to go out, you want to do this, you want to do that. And I would go out occasionally, have a drink here and there, but it was never anything I got too into. But I decided now I could afford, I could do that, right? I don't need to focus as much. I, I'm I'm good at, po I, got, I got a good strategy. I can allow some fun into my life. And I allowed that fun into my life and then I experienced emotions I never experienced before in terms of like happiness and in terms of enjoyment, in terms of connection with friends and that sort of level. And I was like, well, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. And then I didn't really know any better because I never really tried to grow these close connections with friendships to this level that I was building them in Canada. And then I said, they said, do you want to try these things? Do you want to have fun? Do you want to try anything? You know, e ecstasy, these kind of things like that. And I said, well, yeah, why not? And then you go out and you do those things and if those those allow you to ex access this sort of happiness feeling that you may never experience in your life. And I never experienced it in my life up until that point. So I said, well, this is quite fun, right? Why did they, you know, let's do more of this kind of thing like that. Yeah. And I think what happened was is that as I became less disciplined for poker and as it stopped being my main focus and as my mind started allowing these distractions to come in and I found, well, I enjoy this. I enjoy going out. I enjoy dancing. I enjoy festivals. I like traveling. I never really allowed any of that to come into my life previous to that. And then once I took that to a little bit more extreme in terms of the distractions with women and, and drugs were basically like the kind of, you know, I wouldn't say like you say that the downfall, the reason why they're, they're a downfall is that they're a downfall of the success that you pursued in one category and you were so focused on that. And then once you lose that focus, the discipline stops being there and other things become more important to you. And then, uh, you know, that's what happens, right? Yeah. And that's really what happened to me. And I mean, it, it taught, it teaches you a big lesson in a lot of ways. Kind of, you mentioned earlier about the whole money thing and you realize it's not about the money. And then I realized like, it wasn't about that for me. It was just about the, the pursuit of that, that success to get to the top level of the game. That was really all I wanted to get to. And that's what I've always kind of done in my life is I wanted to be as good as I can at whatever I kind of did and dedicated my time to. Yeah. So I think uh, that that's what happened. It's just, I, I wanted to experience more. It's out there in life. And then I did experience it. And then 
turns out I uh, didn't not I didn't manage my life correctly. Right. Well, I, I think yeah. a lot of us are like wired that way, and that mm -hmm. is why we gravitate towards poker in the sense that it's not about chasing the money necessarily. It's just about the journey in and of itself, and we create these lofty goals, and then you achieve them, and you kind of get there, and you're like, well, what next? Yeah. And you just start looking around at the the next big thing that seems impossible to do. And, you know, as best as I can tell, this is like your late 20s. It makes sense. Uh, I personally went through something very similar, not at all same path, but like around the same time frame, I was like 30, I'd gone broke. And I just found myself for like 12 months, 15 months on the couch, going through the self-actualization process where it's mm -hmm. like, what have I sacrificed to get to this point? How much of that was worth it? You know, uh, how how much do I need to put emphasis on being well-rounded, creating strategies outside of this game, but actually for life and everything else? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the same kind of thing happened where for you, it was like these festivals of women and drugs and, and all these other distractions. You're applying that same level of dedication and <laughs> and pursuit that, that you were towards this high stakes dream. Yeah. Bad and, idea. Yeah. And I mean, like, you I know, recommend that. I think that uh, we talked a little bit like off air on this. It's it's really difficult when you commit yourself to such an un, unrelenting game that will just like beat you to your knees over and over again. But you keep getting up and pushing forward. It's hard to find that balance elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, I'm 37. So like, I feel like I'm fucking ancient in this community. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, even even you, you're 34. It's like you're getting to the point where like you're a decade uh further along than the up-and-comers and stuff like that we have to navigate the real world now yeah you know like we have to start to consider answering some bigger questions that i've probably visited and revisited 10 times over throughout my life but can't seem to wrap my head around it's like what about family what about kids mm -hmm. what about like partners and all these other big relationships and you know i kind of mentioned to you that like over the last couple of months i found myself back there in that same place that i was when i was broke where it's just like kind of taking inventory of like, man, since starting this business and dedicating myself wholeheartedly to a dream I want to achieve, mm -hmm. I've been shitty. Yeah, I'm just shitty all around. I'm a bad friend. I'm a bad boyfriend. I'm a bad uh, grandson. I'm a bad uncle. Like, I just don't give people any of myself. And it's it's just like, how do you how do you stop this perpetual cycle where? there's still a desire to be an individual. Right, well, this is what I'm, this is anytime people wonder where I disappear, when I disappear from Twitter and Instagram and content, this is where I, I go is I've been studying this since basically July. Mm -hmm. And the past three weeks is all I've kind of been studying these questions and these bigger things and trying to just take in all this knowledge from around the world and different parts of the world in terms of right now, I've been deep in like history and sort of like how power structures have worked in, in the past, what hundreds of years sort of thing and how the world came to be. And then kind of studying the these other questions of, of family and of nutrition and of these things and seeing how they all sort of work together and basically asking myself these questions I never thought about. And those are the same things for me. It's like, I have such a tough time because when I, anytime you answer one question, then there's six more questions pop up and then it's like, well, the question, but I'm, so I'm trying to figure out what are the base fundamental questions and how do I build those up? And then sort of, and now it's like, well, why do relationships matter? And then why does family matter? And how, how does that work with myself sort of thing like that? So I've kind of re had the same realizations. I talked about them on a couple of my shows too, but yeah, those are, those are very common thoughts I have as well. And I don't know the answers to these questions. So it's kind of, it's very tough to figure out. All right, everyone, that's a wrap on this week's vlogcast. Be sure to tune in next week as we dig into part two of my interview with Joe Ingram. We're going to dive into relationships as a poker player, 
the industry as a whole, training, as well as uh, what his next steps are going to be moving forward, um, both as a content creator and a professional.